Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you uh, for this evening. Thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for bringing us all together. I pray that your spirit would be with us, uh, that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see, um, even give us utterance to proclaim your word uh, once we've learned it and that we grow in the knowledge of the gospel and that you give us, uh, grant us encouragement, uh, that you build us up and strengthen us in your truth, and that you give us uh, boldness to uh, share it and uh, give us the uh, desire to use our gifts to serve the body of Christ. And uh, we thank you for this time and pray that you'd be with us and that uh, all that we think and say and do would uh, be to your honor and glory and for the glory of your son. And we pray in his name. Amen. All right. So last time we got uh, started with our introduction uh, to Genesis. And so if you weren't here, uh, you can find it online. Or if you talk maybe with Christy or Scott, uh, I'm sure you can get a recording or a CD of it. And so last time we mostly began to look at just the issues of biblical authority and began to look at the genre of the creation account. Uh, and so we were just discussing uh, issues and even kind of drawing on the text in Hebrews 11 that uh, the, the whole hall of faith, uh, looking at all of these believers, this cloud of witnesses that has come before us uh, and how uh, that it's uh, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it uh, those of old received their co uh, commendation, uh, for by uh, faith we know that uh, what, uh, what we see in creation, to paraphrase, uh, was created uh, out of things that are uh, invisible, uh, things that are not, uh, not seen, but by the word of God. Uh, and so uh, it's a supernatural, uh, powerful work uh, of creation. Uh, and we were just really contrasting that uh, with really the, the mythology of our own day uh, that assumes that uh, all of reality uh, must be explained uh, by uh, purposeless, meaningless, irrational, amoral chance. The mythology of purposelessness. Yep. We, we have to explain all of reality, and don't call it a creation, the universe, the cosmos, merely by appeal to itself. And so ultimately, all is one. Uh, it's known as uh, material monism. Uh, it's kind of oneism. Uh, and even the ancient Egyptians, they believed in a kind of oneism, uh, but it was kind of a spiritual material oneism, uh, a spiritual monism. Uh, and so they had different mythologies for their different uh, cities and such as it developed over time. But uh, their god Atum was basically the primordial waters in his inert state, and then he either brought himself into being or evolved from his inert state uh, and brought forth uh, matter, uh, brought forth the primordial first hill and the world space, uh, atmosphere, heavens, and all those things are deified. Uh, and so you have spirit and matter together uh, evolving. And so uh, all of the universe uh, in Egyptian theology and many ancient Near Eastern cultures uh, was was God and was part of God. Yeah, and so a lot of times you'd have a mix. Uh, from the Egyptian myths I've read, sometimes it can go back and forth between identifying the creation and the different deities even as the, the first God, the first matter uh, together, or sometimes it will say that they're parts of him and in him. So sometimes pantheism... Uh, that everything is God and panentheism that God is in everything God is in all God is all God is in all sometimes 
they're not even quite two <laughs> separate things, but they, they kind of blur together. And they're ultimately, they're oneism. Uh, all is one. Uh, and we're talking about how, I mean, he didn't come up with it, but just he uses these two terms, Peter Jones, oneism and twoism. Uh, the Bible teaches uh, that uh, there are two uh, distinct kinds of being. Uh, there's God, a non-contingent being, as Bob has said, uh, meaning he's independent, non-contingent, independent. He exists independently of all things. Uh, he exists independently of uh, the space, time, material creation. He's not dependent on the creation. He's not dependent on creatures. Uh, but he depends only upon himself. Uh, he's an eternal, uh, unchanging uh, being. Uh, Father, Son, and Spirit uh, existing eternally as uh, the one uh, true uh, living, living God. And then the creation, see, of God, non-contingent being, the creation is contingent being. It's dependent upon God. Uh, the cre all the creatures, everything in the creation is dependent upon God for everything. He's, they're infinitely different. Yeah. I mean, there's an infinity of ways yep. that the two types of beings are different. Yeah, there, there's an infinite chasm. Uh, they're categorically different. Two completely and utterly uh, different, uh, different things. And so God is the source uh, of uh, all the other spirits, uh, matter. Uh, he's the source of truth, beauty, goodness, uh, wisdom. Uh, he's the very standard of it, his character. Uh, and uh, what he speaks, his commandments, uh, reflect his good character and good purposes uh, and even ends and goals and such. And so uh, God is God and everything else is not. Uh, and that's, that's basically the central message of the Bible. Uh, that's where everything starts. Uh, God is God. We are not. Uh, we're, we're utterly dependent upon him. And uh, the mythology today, it, it's oneism. Uh, and even reading Egyptian mythology, uh, there's so much in common with what, uh, what so many believe uh, today. Uh, they're very, very similar. They maybe try and take the spiritual aspects out of it, but it's still, it's still one of them. Uh, and so uh, the creation uh, cannot be empirically with five senses. Uh, uh, the beginning, the origin of all creation, it can't be empirically observed, uh, repeated, uh, tested empirically with the five senses. Uh, its complex variables can't be isolated in a laboratory. You can't repeat the origin of all things. Uh, there's only one creation. Uh, and so if God had not spoken uh, and revealed what he's revealed to us, th there's very little uh, that we could know about it, and we'd be left uh, to speculate, as uh, people have done since <laughs> since they rebelled, uh, since, since the beginning, since they went astray. And... The difference between uh, the Tower of Babel, uh, the scattering of humanity after the rebellion and put under the host of heaven, they didn't have the word of God. They didn't have authoritative prophets and spokesmen. And so they were just left to themselves, uh, le left to, yep, creation and conscience. Uh, it's enough general revelation, uh, which it's general uh, as we were saying, not to be, it's not identical and not to be equated with uh, science. That makes it particular. It's the particular domain of people who wear lab coats. No, it's much broader and more general than that. Uh, all of creation at all times, at all places, whether you look through a microscope, a telescope, the Hubble, uh, whether you're watching your chil children play uh, or nieces, nephews uh, play in the backyard, uh, whether you live in a village or a cave or a skyscraper, 
all of creation everywhere at all times, all places, and conscience, uh, it manifests, it, it reveals there's a creator. It makes us without excuse. You see that in Romans 1, uh, conscience in Romans 2, uh, also like Psalm 19. And so that's what makes general revelation so general, uh, so broad. All times, all places, all of creation to all people. And, yeah, uh, if you have someone looking through a microscope or uh, looking at a bacteria culture or whatever, yeah, they're, they're, they're without excuse, too. Uh, but a lot of times, general revelation, people will use it as if it's identical to natural philosophy or science. No, it's, it's much broader than that, much broader. kind of subsumes that, uh, and it doesn't take any, any complex... Uh, argumentation, uh, didn't wait for Aristotle to uh, come up with a formal system of logic. It, it didn't wait for, uh, you know, even better, uh, 19th, 20th century uh, symbolic logic. That's really, you know, kind of the domain of <laughs> philosophers and such and logicians. But uh, small, great, you know, alike, uh, intelligent or not, uh, wherever you live, uh, you see the you see the creation, and it bears witness. There's a creator. Uh, you see a painting, must have been a painter. You know, it's not it, it's not too complex, uh, and the creation's even more clear. That the evidence is all around us. But if we weren't born uh, as rebel sinners against God, it it, it would be so obvious. Uh, and so the, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. God hasn't left himself without witness. But that makes without excuse. And so it's, it's special revelation. Uh, he's left people, whether pagan or more biblical term like Gentile, uh, the peoples, uh, the goyim, uh, that God has scattered the nations uh, without his word, without his prophets, and left them to themselves uh, to speculate, to explain uh, the, uh, the creation by appeal to itself. Uh, to, uh, they, they speculate about what God is like or the gods uh, from the creation, uh, from their selves, from their own speculations, from, uh, from just appeal to the creation and the creature. Uh, and that will not bring you a saving true knowledge uh, of God. Uh, that will not restore you to him. And so we need special or particular revelation. Uh, where God reveals himself in special, particular ways and times and places to particular peoples, uh, whether through signs and wonders that he performs, you know, on Pharaoh and bringing judgments upon the Egyptians uh, and bringing them across the, uh, across the, the sea and delivering them out of Egypt, uh, the signs and wonders of Elijah and Elisha uh, that uh, God uh, performed in their midst. Uh, to authenticate them as his authoritative spokesman uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, if you look in uh, John chapter 5, uh, he gives a whole list of witnesses. John the Baptist. Well, I don't need the testimony of men, but that you might believe. <laughs> you know, John was sent to testify. I don't need it, but yeah. Uh, John testifies, and the Father testifies, and uh, the Spirit, the, the very works the Father has given him to do, the words he has given him to speak. Uh, testify. The scriptures, Moses and the prophets testify. These are all the witnesses, uh, the, the prophetic witness, the miracles, the signs, his resurrection, uh, and the apostles and prophets who came after, and uh, they witnessed uh, him after his resurrection. Uh, and so this is all special revelation, uh, and especially uh, that which is inscripturated, that which is written down in, in the scriptures, the writings, of his holy prophets and apostles as they were carried about by, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, men spoke from God, or uh, God spoke through men. Uh, and so uh, th this word uh, he has given to reveal himself and to convey these things, uh, and we're even talking about, actually we'll see in a little bit, but we we're just talking about even like ethics and right and wrong. Yep, God has given conscience, but you see that sinners cauterize their consciences. Uh, they dull in them. 
Uh, they make them uh, ineffective and such. Uh, and even in the garden, God did not leave the man and the woman without his word. Well, maybe we shouldn't eat from this tree. No, <laughs> he said, you can't, uh, from, from all the trees eating, you may, you may freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat from it, for in the day that you eat of it, of dying, you shall die. You shall surely uh, die. Uh, and so there, God spoke to them. Uh, he gave his word and commandment. Uh, and we'll even see with, you see the twisting in Romans 1 of idolatry, worshiping the creature, the creation, rather than the creator, and they're without excuse for that. Uh, and then uh, men lusting for men and women for women. You see, again, twisting. Uh, and they should know it's manifest to all people. Uh, and then it just goes into the whole host of sins that people twist and distort uh, their consciences and uh, creation, rebel against God. But we'll see in a little bit, uh, we'll even look at uh, the Lord Jesus Christ drawing it. Well, you know, if it's so, it is clear they are without excuse. You can see that men cannot give birth to children and women cannot father them. There's distinction. It's only, it's only in the union of the two that you have the natural bearing and rearing of children. And so, without excuse, and yet you read in Genesis chapter 2 in the garden, so he makes the man the woman, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Why does Moses give that exhortation? And then you get after the fall, the garden, chapter 4, Lamech. Lamech took two wives, Adah and Zillah. Hear my voice. You wives of Lamech. I mean, again and again. His first wife, his second wife, Adah, Zillah. Oh, whoa, this wasn't God's design. Uh, and you keep reading, uh, and you see that throughout. Uh, Pharaoh took Sarai. You know, I added her to his harem. Uh, uh, Abram, Abram uh, listened to the voice of his wife and took Hagar. The man listened to the voice of his wife in the garden, in rebellion. That was the problem. You know, if she, had, if she had been just speaking what God had spoken, that's fine, but <laughs> good, that's a fine time to listen to your wife. You know, kind of when uh, Sarah later says uh, to send away the, uh, the slave woman and her child. And then God intervenes and says, Abraham, listen to Sarah. <laughs> there's always a so there's a time to listen, there's a time to not. When, she, when she's speaking contrary to God, don't listen. Take, always, take Hagar. There's always a following of a visitation. Mm -hmm. As Bob has been focusing on visitation. Yeah, yeah. You see that, uh, see that throughout. Uh, and so, and then to Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and on and on. Uh, the, uh, the sin. Uh, between uh, men and women and God's design of marriage uh, and uh, all of the other sins and violence that man fills the, uh, the world with and lying and deceit, uh, breaking God's standard, uh, his uh, really acting against uh, his own character. Uh, and so the man and the woman were not without God's word and without his law, without his instruction, uh, even when, before they had sinned. Uh, and so man was not meant to be apart from God, apart from uh, his, uh, his word, even though, yep, people are without excuse. God has given enough light on revelation of conscience and creation, uh, but uh, we, uh, we need uh, his word. Uh, and then we were beginning to look at the uh, genre uh, of the creation account uh, because there are some who tried to say that the creation account is just, it's just a literary framework. Uh, some treat it as if it's just uh, poetry uh, to try to remove any historical uh, implications or teaching that it would have, other than maybe the general idea, well, God created. But a lot of times it's bound up with wanting to hold to 
uh, purely secularist, materialist uh, accounts uh, of the created order uh, in really methodological, you could call it methodological naturalism, materialism, or atheism uh, rules the day. Uh, and we're even talking about how it's very common also in uh, where it professed to be uh, Christian colleges. Not surprising when I hear the, isn't it said the prince of this world is you know, Satan? Mm -hmm. I know Christ conquered him. I'm not sure. I can't think of any references to still, but I, I see his evidence is everywhere that he's definitely God's given him. Yeah, defeated, yeah. But God's given him all. You know, he just gave him domain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you see like in Ephesians uh, where, is there it talks about spirit of the power of the air or the, I don't know if he uses the word prince there uh, also and uh, but that uh, he says you, you were once uh, separated from God and uh, under the prince of the power of the air or the spirit that's working in the sons of disobedience um, whom we also were like children of wrath and uh, and also in 2nd Corinthians it talks about the uh, the God of this world now some try and say that it's God, but I, I think in the context, uh, it's actually talking about Satan uh, in uh, his, uh, the delegated authority and dominion that God has given him temporarily. So, yeah, very, very true. One yeah. Thing. You know, an interesting passage that I always found was in uh, Samuel. It talks about how when David counted the army, it says, and Satan you know, incited him to count the army. And then in the Chronicles account, I might have got this back, mm -hmm. but in the Chronicles it says, you know, God you know, incited him to count Israel. Mm -hmm. But it was just an interesting seeing how God uses Satan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there it could very well be, um, <clears throat> could be the spiritual adversary. Uh, the one just sort of uh, interpretive issue that people have to deal with is uh, Satan uh, means adversary or, or like an opponent or uh, such like that. And so there are certain cases where, um, okay, is this a human one or, uh, but there I, I think there's probably good reason to think that it's uh, spiritual. And you, and you see him like in Zechariah too. And, uh, and then Job, uh, as well. You, you see different uh, different places where he's serving uh, the the same function and working it out, uh, right in line with the serpent of old. You know, as John says in Revelation. And so let's just we'll touch on a couple of these uh, issues of dealing with uh, the genre. Uh, and the thing that we looked at, we don't have time to tonight. But we just looked at Lamech's uh, poem, uh, Ada and Zila, Hear My Voice. Uh, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for bruising me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And so you have parallelism, three couplets, two, 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 lines uh, together. Uh, and the first two are synonymous. Uh, Adan Zila, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, who's that? Adan Zila. Listen to what I say, hear my voice. And so we're, we're saying that, uh, that synonymous parallelism, synonymy doesn't mean that the two things mean the exact identical thing, but it focuses on their similarities. It, it highlights the similarities uh, between them. That's, that's the focus. I killed a man for wounding me, a young man for bruising me. So they're synonymous again. Uh, and then the last one expands, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. Kind of builds on it. For 49, doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Uh, and so, and Jesus draws on that too, Matthew 18, uh, where he talks about, Peter, shall I forgive my brother seven times? Uh, no, 70 times seven or uh, whatever. And so he flips Lamex on its head, which is completely, seven is fullness, 
So it'd be full punishment. Uh, that's even where God says you'll punish to the third and fourth generation. Third can sometimes be like holy, 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 superlative. Four is a step beyond it. Three and four, seven. Fullness. You see that, you see that uh, pattern in like the end of Proverbs and such. Uh, and so he'll repay fully, full justice. Uh, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Punishment fits the crime. Uh, and so, but Lamech is going beyond. He's taking vengeance into his own hands uh, that's completely out of proportion. Anyone that gets in his way, he'll kill. He'll strike down. You look at me the wrong way, I'll kill you. That's the kind of guy that Lamech is. And so a complete tyrant uh, filling the earth with violence and rebellion even beyond what Cain did. I mean, the first they ate from the tree. That might seem small. But then their eldest son, Cain, kills Abel. Uh, and you, you see the bloodshed just spread all the way to the flood. And God wipes all of humanity out except for eight of the seven who are with, uh, with Noah. And so poetry, uh, the main feature of Hebrew poetry is especially parallelism. Uh, and you also find things like uh, really, really uh, lots, lots of figurative uh, language. Uh, lots of uh, heavy, like figures of speech, uh, parallelism. Uh, a lot of times, might even have uh, more sort of rhyming and such, but uh, that can vary uh, somewhat. And so, those are some of the main features of uh, Hebrew poetry, and especially parallelism. Uh, and that's not something we find uh, throughout uh, the creation account. Uh, and in uh, historical uh, narrative. Uh, we, we can find certain poetic elements. Uh, it's highly structured. Uh, it's good literature. Uh, you can find word plays. Uh, you can find like rhyming and such. Uh, you can even find like chiastic structures, A, B, C, D, C, B, A patterns. Uh, you can find inclusios, bookends at the end of sections. Uh, and so you can find figures of speech in some of these things, but they don't, they're not uh, at the level that you find like in, in poetry. Uh, and so even in poetry, a poetry can recount kind of a narrative, events that unfold. But within poetry, uh, within sort of a, a poetic uh, framework, uh, but then can have have some narrative in it, uh, and some of them like even recount some of the psalms, recount uh, creation, uh, David and what was it Psalm eight, maybe Psalm nine, Psalm eight. Uh, he, he looks at creation, the creation of man. What is man? Uh, uh, that like you made him and set him set him over all the beasts and all that is created and such. In uh, Psalm Psalm nineteen has. Uh, draws on creation. Some of them even draw on like the, the Exodus and the events uh, of the Exodus as they unfold and uh, travel through the wilderness. But with heavy uh, parallelism, a uh, lot of uh, figurative language, figures of speech, uh, and such. And so you can you can kind of blend these genres together. And then narrative, uh, where you have primary narrative, you can still have figures of speech and such, but you don't have as many of like the, the poetic elements. Uh, you don't have like the heavy uh, parallelism or three couplets, you know, and such. And so you maybe see a little more like poetic elements as you get into the seventh day uh, that uh, kind of commemorates uh, God's creation and such. Uh, and Lamech's poem, you know, you have his little short poem put right in the narrative. Uh, and you see that with uh, Noah's curse and blessing of his sons and so there, and then we even saw like uh, Genesis 49, 48, 49, but especially like 49, uh, Genesis, uh, Exodus 15 is another big one, uh, Numbers 23, 24, and Deuteronomy uh, 32, 33, uh, where you have these uh, poems. And especially at the end of Genesis, end of Deuteronomy, 
in Numbers 23, 24, you have these big poems that weave uh, things together from uh, Jacob, Balaam, and Moses. Uh, and so you might have a lot of uh, narrative and then poetry or genealogy, you know, uh, kind of mixed together. And so let's just look at a couple of these uh, features that we started to deal with uh, of, uh, of narrative. And so th this is drawing from uh, Stephen uh, Levinson. Uh, he's a, a Christian scholar uh, and a, a linguist. Uh, and he, he also draws on uh, some of uh, Robert Longacre's work. And so he says, uh, Longacre's broad categorization of uh, genre makes use of uh, plus and minus values, features that are present or absent, for a set of four features. Uh, two of these features, uh, contingent temporal succession, we'll get there in a moment, uh, it's a mouthful, and agent orientation can be taken as primary and serve to identify the four broadest categories. And so th these will be our focus. So first, uh, first you have a contingent temporal uh, succession. Uh, and we're going to see it means that uh, events that follow depend on those that come before. Uh, very frequently. Yeah, sometimes you can have kind of backtracking. Sometimes you might have a flashback or, you know, back on the ranch or things like that. But uh, the kind of the central thing of narrative, uh, the central question is what happened? It's going somewhere. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what happened. We have a little pause from what happened, just describing the state of the earth. And the earth was formless and void, or barren and empty. And darkness was over the face of the deep. Nothing happened there. It's just saying darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. There, next event, the kind of moves things forward. And there, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Uh, and it goes on for naming and such uh, along the way. And so it, uh, it unfolds. And you can't have, uh, you need uh, the creation of the basic cosmos and the unfinished earth where you have the, uh, the waters of the deep, the darkness, before God brings light into it. And then you need the light before you have evening and morning the first day. Darkness to light. Uh, and then you need to have the first day before you have the second day. And uh, sec uh, you need to have the first and second day before you have the third day. Uh, and eventually, uh, you'll get to the seventh day where God completes uh, his creation. Uh, you'll have the garden. Uh, the man, the woman will, will rebel. And you can't have backtracking there, sixth day. Now we're going to focus in detail on the creation of man and woman and what happens with them. Uh, and they rebel, uh, their progeny. Uh, and eventually, uh, before uh, uh, Jacob and his sons arrive uh, to meet Joseph in Egypt uh, to be preserved and built up as a nation uh, for, uh, for over 400 years, uh, four, four generations, uh, you need to have all the other events of Genesis. You need to have the man and the woman. You need to have... Uh, Seth, uh, you need to have, uh, you need to have, well, uh, Seth, uh, his descendant, uh, Eber, uh, and uh, I think it's through uh, Peleg, is Peleg or Yotan? I think Peleg. Uh, but then uh, Terah, Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, his I sons. Think, I don't think Peleg had any kids, did he? He was taken so early. No, Enoch, Enoch. He was only 300 years old. Enoch. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think he was 360 uh, when, when he was taken. Uh, and so through Genesis, uh, more than a couple thousand years will pass before you get to the end of it, uh, covering the creation of all things and even scattering of the nations, calling Abraham out of Ur uh, to the land God will show him traveling to, uh, to Egypt, 
and so across space and time, this great time passes over all of Genesis. Uh, and then Exodus, uh, well, Exodus through uh, the beginning of Numbers, well, large part of Numbers through chapter 12, 13 or, or so, it's all just over one year period. And then through the rest of Deuteronomy, 40 years. And so things are, you know, they're kind of focusing down a little bit and sl slowing down. Uh, Exodus, well, in all of Exodus through Deuteronomy, uh, you have a period of, well, from, from the time of Moses anyway, his birth, 120 years. Uh, and then it's just the early chapters of Exodus uh, where it grows up in three months with his parents, and then 40 years uh, with the princess, daughter of Pharaoh, and then 40 years as a sojourner uh, with his uh, father-in-law Jethro, and he marries uh, Zipporah, a Midianite. Uh, in 80 years, then God call, uh, calls him. It's like right around, what, Exodus 3? You know, it's very early on that God calls him at 80. And so the, the rest of, through Deuteronomy, it's just 40 years. So uh, contingent temporal succession, you know, those events uh, that follow, uh, many of them, they depend on what comes before in time and space and causally, you know, they, uh, they impact what happens uh, and eventually, you know, it gets to the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, uh, the, the greater David, uh, and eventually revelation and the new heavens, new earth, the eternal state. Depends on all that comes before in salvation history. And so uh, Levinson describes this. Uh, we did a little backwards, kind of give the illustration before, but he'll give one more. Uh, contingent temporal succession refers to a framework, uh, including from Longacre. Uh, contingent temporal succession refers to a framework, quote, in which some, often most, of the events or doings are contingent, dependent, on previous events or doings. Uh, end quote. Thus, uh, Little Red Riding Hood's arrival at her grandmother's house is contingent, dependent, on her setting out through the woods. You can't get to grandma's unless you go through the woods first, right? Uh, and the putting of a cake in the oven uh, in a recipe uh, is contingent, dependent, on having first mixed the proper ingredients. And so even like instructions in a cookbook and carrying them out. You know, you got gotta mix the batter and such before you put it put it in the oven. Uh, and then the second primary feature. So first, contingent temporal succession. It's just saying that uh, events that follow depend on those that come before uh, in uh, in time. Uh, many of them, uh, and we'll be seeing that just with uh, just throughout the, the creation account, even. And then he goes on, uh, the second primary feature, uh, agent orientation, refers to whether the discourse type, uh, does narratives in this case, uh, deals with uh, events or doings which are controlled by an agent, uh, one who performs an action. Uh, with at least a partial identity of agent reference running through the discourse, uh, meaning that the, the agent, the actor, the one who does the things and uh, performs actions, uh, that partial identity means they stay the same, uh, the, the participant. And so he gives an example, again, uh, Little Red Riding Hood and the wolf are agents in that story. Uh, the hearer is the potential agent in an exhortation. Uh, and so uh, th they act. Uh, and in uh, Genesis, which isn't, it's not, just it's not a figurative story or narrative, but it's historical uh, story or a historical narrative. Uh, God is the primary agent. He's the primary participant, actor. Uh, and so uh, we'll see that uh, God will speak, uh, he will command, he will create, uh, he will uh, see that it, it's good, perceive that it's good. Uh, he will uh, name things and provide for the, the uh, man and the woman. Uh, and throughout Genesis, uh, he's the primary actor, uh, working things out, working out his purposes uh, to establish uh, 
his uh, blessing, uh, his provision, uh, his presence, his rule in all of creation. Yeah, yeah, God created. Uh, and so uh, you, you have the contingent temporal succession. Uh, what follows, the events that follow, uh, many of them depend on what comes before in uh, agent orientation where it's driven by and large by an actor, uh, one who acts. Uh, if you have just a rock, rocks aren't agents. They're not actors. Uh, they, 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 don't, uh, they don't have a volition to, to cause things and set things in motion on their own. Uh, you might personify them, trip over a rock and say, oh, that rock must hate me. You know, it, it tripped me again. You know, if you've fallen over a couple times, but it's not, Quran, it's not really an actor, you know. <laughs> when the Quran says even the rocks will cry if there's a Jew hiding behind the rock. Well, that, that, could, be, that could be figured, uh, figures of speech. It's like uh, even Jesus says, you know, if uh, they say with the children and uh, his disciples uh, uh, praising and call, calling out, you know, uh, was it uh, the... Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, and so there, he says, like, if they didn't speak, even the rocks would cry out. And sometimes, like in the Psalms, you know, uh, the, the rocks will clap their hands in the trees and such <laughs> along those lines. Yeah, and so you have kind of a figure of speech. Where they're, they're personified. But, but agents, you know, you see with the, the man and the woman, the serpent uh, and such, uh, throughout as the events uh, move move forward, and go to uh, Matthew chapter nineteen. Matthew nineteen. If you have your Bibles. Um, we'll be seeing this uh, throughout. But this is just one example to show that we're dealing not just with narrative story, but historical uh, narrative uh, events uh, that took place in space, time, uh, history. So let's just start from verse 1. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him uh, by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So he's peeling right back to creation uh, in, in the garden, Genesis chapter 2. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning? It's like, there he goes again, you know. <laughs> you, the religious teachers, have you not read? <laughs> you haven't read the first chapter, you know, chapter 2, Genesis? <laughs> uh, and said, uh, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So uh, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so, have you not read he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? He draws right on uh, the account of creation, drawing both on the creation account in chapter 1. You see God make them male and, uh, male and female uh, after his likeness, uh, in, his, in his image after his likeness. Uh, and also uh, chapter 2, therefore a man, or the, the garden, sometimes I try and, it's better to use the chapter markers since they're not original to help people find things, but actually describe the, the content uh, that's there. So you have the, the garden with the first generations account of the, the heavens and the earth. And so uh, he appeals there, uh, he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. He sets it uh, right, right in the beginning. Uh, it's not uh, after you know several uh, 
billions of years. Okay, at the tail end, he finally made you know man and woman, or uh, took. Uh, it's like with you have theologians and commentators and such. Uh, John Walton, uh, Bruce Waltke had supported that. Maybe kind of distanced himself. Biologos, which are arguing for theistic evolution, and they even go so far to say that you basically had uh, from you know from molecules to to man and ape-like uh, creatures and then soulless hominids. He insulted them and gave them souls. Maybe some will say, okay, maybe he, he specially created uh, the first man and woman, but some of them will, will almost say it's just kind of symbolic of the first sort of hominid creatures that God put souls in uh, along the way. It's, really, it, it's so utterly contrary. Uh, no, from the beginning, he made them male and female. You know, is, is the very capstone and pinnacle uh, of, of creation, uh, how God would glorify himself. Uh, and spread uh, his presence, his provision, his blessing, his rule over all creation, even through his stewards that he created, uh, the man, the woman, humanity uh, in creation. And so he treats it as history. And you see that throughout scripture. You see that in the Torah. Uh, you see that throughout the, uh, the Tanakh, the Old Testament. And uh, Paul in uh, Romans chapter 5 uh, talks about the first man uh, is through... Uh, through one man came sin, and through sin, death, and death spread to all men because all sinned. And if you think about okay, Cain, Abel, you get to the generations of Adam, his genealogy, and he died, 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 and he died. You just see the, the violence uh, spreading throughout, and after that, the whole earth was filled with violence. And so God said that uh, his spirit uh, would uh, would not continue to uh, contend with, uh, with man, strive with man. Uh, but Noah found favor in his sight. And so you see the sin, you see the rebellion in the death uh, that comes from that spreading uh, to all humanity uh, in solidarity uh, with uh, the first man's sin and rebellion, but then with uh, uh, those in their unbelief, with the, the serpent, uh, who are a brood of vipers, uh, an offspring of evildoers, uh, their their offspring of the serpent, uh, and so, and there he says that that was uh, that that sin was in the world from Adam to Moses, and the giving of the law, all this sin, all this death uh, throughout, and so corporate solidarity there, it's it's a lot broader than part of that is sharing uh, in guilt, but it's also sharing in the sin. Uh, the rebellion, uh, the corruption, uh, and uh, subsequently then also uh, the guilt and the judgment uh, just stores up uh, more and more. Uh, and God said for like the Canaanites that uh, to Abraham that uh, the sin of the Canaanites isn't complete. So he's going to give another four generations over 400 years for them to fill up the full measure of their sin. And then as his people suffers, uh, as their suffering fills up, God will only allow his people to suffer in Egypt for so long and for uh, the Canaanites to rebel. He brings judgment on Pharaoh, the Egyptians, redeems his people, and brings them into the land. Uh, and you see that, again, uh, with uh, we've spoken about before. Uh, Jesus says to the religious leaders, uh, Matthew 23, 24, I think 23, uh, that so uh, all the uh, all the uh, blood uh, will will come upon you and guilt. Uh, well, they'll share in the guilt of their fathers. Uh, they build the tombs of the prophets, uh, but uh, the the blood of the righteous shall come upon them from uh, righteous Abel uh, to Zechariah the son of Berechiah, whom you killed between the temple and the altar. And there he equivocates, where you have Abel. Beginning of Genesis, Zechariah the son of Berechiah, the eleventh of the minor prophets, Torah, end of the prophets, and then you have uh, Zechariah Jehoiada's son at the end of uh, Chronicles, in the writings, Law, Prophets, writings. So there's there's an equivocation wordplay there, uh, but Jesus and the religious leaders knew Scripture well, 
And a lot of times they do things like that where they'd cite from the three parts of scripture uh, to, uh, to illustrate it. So all this blood will, will come upon you uh, from the blood of righteous Abel to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you killed between the temple and the altar. Well, that was, that was maybe over 700 years, over six, <laughs> seven, seven, there are centuries before that that happened. What do you mean we killed them? The religious leaders. We weren't there. We didn't kill them. Well, by participating in their sin and persecuting uh, the righteous and the, uh, the prophets and the apostles and believers, they become partakers in uh, the sin, the guilt, the condemnation, and eventually the punishment of their fathers who came before them. They walk, they walk in their ways, those who persecuted the prophets, those who persecuted the righteous, like uh, Cain. And you see in First John, Bob was talking about that uh, Cain, uh, anyone who hates his brother isn't born of God. He's, he's the offspring uh, of Satan, of the serpent. Eric. That was just uh, reminding me when uh, Stephen was before the, I forget who stoned him, that whole group, but Stephen, and, and uh, you know, his face shone, and it was a clear sign that God's using this guy. And also, I remember that promise that when you go before rulers and authorities, don't worry about what you're going to say. Mm-hmm. And it just reminded me of the echoing back to what you just reminded, said about Jesus, how you stoned and who you're guilty of. And Stephen says pretty much the exact same thing. I mean, he blatantly says, this son of God whom you put to death and it's just a reminder of me also of that passage where Paul says even if I or an angel of God speaks a message different than but you know it's like the Holy Spirit has this message and you can just see the, how he works through different men absolutely yeah good good uh, very good illustration that connects it right in with uh, the gospels too and, so, and says that uh, he also says that you always uh, was it you always harden your hearts and rebel and such, but you, uh, that they harden their hearts, I think, against the Spirit, against God anyway, uh, and, and rebel against him. And kind of tracing out the Israelites, their rebellion throughout history, you know, against God from, the, uh, from their uh, founding, from their, their birth and such, from, from the wilderness and Moses and uh, rebelling against God's prophets and the apostles eventually who are who are sent to him so yeah that's corporate solidarity and so it's important to recognize a lot of times uh romans 5 i know i've uh spoken like eric about this a lot of times people try and reduce it to just well it's just imputation yeah that's part of it uh shared guilt but you also have shared corruption shared sin and rebellion and then uh, you have shared guilt, shared punishment. And the whole thing, corporate, corporate solidarity. Uh, they walk in uh, the ways of their forefathers. Uh, the serpent, you know, he, he was the, uh, the first liar. And Jesus says that like in John, says you're of your father, uh, the, the devil. He, he was a liar from, from the beginning and you, you lie just like him. He was a murderer and you want to kill me. And so uh, they, instead of uh, walking with God, walking in his ways, uh, instead of uh, a chosen, believing, uh, righteous uh, offspring uh, that God raises up by his spirit, uh, instead you have a, it's a unchosen, reprobate, unbelieving, unrighteous offspring of evildoers. And that's, you see that all throughout uh, scripture, and it's part part of why uh, the judgment uh, is so severe. And we, we've kind of spoken just with like abortion. Uh, if we facilitate uh, and approve uh, or participate uh, in the sin of abortion, well, the blood of in our country alone, sixty well, sixty million, just since Roe versus Wade. Uh, you have hundreds of millions, China, India, uh, and just infant girls. You're looking at hundreds of millions, even 
I mean, throughout history, over a billion, billions of, of, of deaths. I mean, that, that's uh, to facilitate that, to participate, to share or approve, is to become a partaker also, not just in the sin, but in the guilt, the condemnation, and the ultimate judgment and punishment uh, that will come for that. And that's just one uh, very severe uh, sin. Uh, and so when it comes to lying and such, uh, no one lives on an island, uh, but we sin together, we sin in community, in, in rebellion against God. And so we, we, we partake, if in the sin, uh, then the guilt, condemnation, and punishment. And that's part of why a judgment will be uh, so severe uh, in, the, in the end. Yep. Kind of a different take on that. Just thinking about the verse where it says the children eat the sour, no, the fathers eat the sour grapes and their children are set on edge. And then mm -hmm. that was the part where God said, well, this will no longer be a parable mm -hmm. in Israel. You know, each is responsible for his own sin. Mm -hmm. So remembering that, you know, I, I have to think that it's, you know, that it's the act of sin is itself just as wicked as every other act of sin. And the thought certainly is the same evil as, you know, all others, mm -hmm. evils, but I, I can't say that you're responsible for what you're Well, no, the, the thing that, uh, that that's a good point you raised, the point in Ezekiel is they were saying that we're being punished because of what our fathers did. It's not what we did. It's what they did. And so now this, uh, this punishment uh, is coming upon us. Uh, and so the issue there. Uh, he's pointing out is uh, well if they didn't sin and if they're righteous you know if if you have a son that sins and the father doesn't well the father's not punished uh, for for what the son did the uh, son uh, sins and the father or the or if the father sins and the son didn't he's not punished for what the father did now sometimes there there are other like consequences and such just People's sin, like influences us and uh, impacts, uh, you know, alcoholism or something. That's going to impact your family. But, but if you look at uh, all of Scripture and you look at what Jesus says uh, there and such, you have this idea of corporate solidarity that the sin of the Canaanites uh, isn't uh, filled, uh, isn't uh, full yet. Uh, that. And so there, that's where you get the language of uh, imputation uh, in such uh, for like with the, the first man. And so uh, there are places where you see that if uh, you walk in the ways of your fathers, uh, those who come before you and the, the serpent, uh, and even uh, the lake of fire was prepared for Satan and his angels. But uh, by rebelling, by uh, walking in their ways uh, by uh, participating in their sin, uh, you corporately uh, share then uh, in guilt and punishment as well as you're corporately uh, in rebellion uh, against God. And so that's a concept called corporate solidarity and something we'll be able to look at more, but that's why you have to look at uh, all of the aspects of it. So you also have to uh, look at like uh, Matthew uh, 23, uh, Romans uh, chapter uh, 5, uh, you also have uh, like with the Canaanites and such, something that runs all throughout scripture. Uh, but as for the issue of uh, that, no, if, if you haven't sinned and you're righteous, which none of us are, well, you're not just punished because of, <laughs> because of what, what your father did. You know, well, we didn't do anything. You know, we're, we're innocent. That's just what our fathers did. Uh, and so God has to put that away and say, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's uh, because they're saying the, the, ways of, uh, the ways of God aren't, uh, aren't right. Uh, but you also see uh, sort of collective uh, corporate uh, sin and such. Even sometimes like with uh, salvation, those who were with Noah are brought through the flood. Even though Ham, Ham turns out to be uh, an offspring of evildoers, of the serpent. But Shem, uh, he's offspring uh, of, of believers, you know, chosen, believing, righteous offspring. Not perfect, he's a sinner, but, 
but uh, a believer. Uh, and then also like with uh, Achan, uh, for example, in uh, Jericho, uh, in Joshua, uh, Rahab and those who are with her are redeemed. She fears Yahweh and believes. And Achan takes from the things that were uh, banned from Jericho, uh, that were set apart for destruction, he takes of those things, and those who are with him uh, and his family and such, uh, and many of them probably even knowingly uh, were, uh, were involved, uh, but uh, they became uh, sharers in uh, the same sin, uh, in guilt, in condemnation. And then sometimes you'll see it like over generations. So Jesus says that all of the blood of the righteous shall come upon you. From the blood of righteous Abel, from the beginning of creation, to Zechariah the son of Berechiah, and to the prophets, uh, whom you killed between the temple uh, and the altar, you have Zechariah the son of Jehoiada at the end of Chronicles. From all of creation, all history, by participating in the sins of your fathers, you'll share in the same guilt, in the same, uh, same punishment, uh, because you did these things. So all, all of this blood will come upon you. And it's because they're basically in cahoots together in rebellion against God. Uh, I mean, you, you even have that, like, we have a representative government, or even if you have a king uh, that uh, represents the, the people. And now, as believers, we're called out of the world, we're sharers in Christ's kingdom, you know, thankfully. Uh, not the, the kingdom of darkness. But uh, we send representatives uh, to uh, Congress and to the Senate and to the House of Representatives, and we elect a president, and, uh, and we have Supreme Court justices and such, and they represent us, you know, at a federal, state uh, level. And so a lot of times you'll have, like, Daniel and such, they'll... They'll pray for the sins of the nation and say that we've sinned against you. Obama, as, a, as a whole nation. Obama has made America the enemy of Israel. Well, he certainly, uh, certainly <laughs> moved move things forward a lot there. But actually, if you look at uh, past presidents, not to downplay it at all. I mean, uh, that's uh, obviously very, uh, very extreme. But if you actually look at past uh, presidents and such uh, throughout American history, uh, they've often put Israel in uh, very, very difficult circumstances and uh, put a tremendous amount of pressure on them to, to make bad decisions and such like, uh, like that. But even, even that nation right now, by and large, those who, who don't turn uh, to the anointed king, uh, who see at the right hand of uh, of the Most High, uh, thereby enlarging rebellion against God too. Uh, and, uh, and their uh, society is filled with uh, all of the same sort of vices and wickedness as, as our society. And so uh, often you'll see Daniel and such that they'll pray for that we have sinned against you, you know, over all these years and such. And so you have that corporate solidarity idea, but you do raise an important point because it can be it can be misunderstood where, uh, and that's also where the balance is with seeing with the first man sin, that you don't just have imputation there, uh, but you see the corruption, the sin, and the death. But Adam's, what he does, his role, the place, as the head of humanity, the first head, was obviously a unique position that none of us had with responsibility and consequences that reverberate through all of history that only the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of a new humanity, uh, can, can undo uh, by, by his spirit. And so we then, uh, by grace through faith, become our partakers and sharers uh, in his righteousness of justification. Uh, we're uh, clothed in uh, his white garments. God declares us innocent, righteous before his sight because of what Christ did. Uh, we become partakers of sort of the, the practical, moral, ethical righteousness by his spirit where now we can start to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And yet we're not glorified yet. Uh, that's that's still, still to come. 
uh, and all of the blessings and partakers of the new heavens, the new earth, and the kingdom. And so uh, much better to be uh, united to the head of a new humanity uh, in the heavenly Jerusalem. So well, let's uh, close with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word, and uh, we thank you uh, for revealing these things through uh, your servant Moses and uh, all that you teach through your prophets and apostles, and uh, we thank you that we can know you as the one true living creator God, uh, not just as creator, but uh, as savior uh, through your son and by the power of your spirit. Uh, we pray that you'd build us up and our whole body uh, in him and uh, the whole assembly of the redeemed, the universal church, uh, that uh, we would have a eternal and abiding hope and we'd store our treasure up, uh, not on earth, but uh, in heaven where he's seated and uh, all of your uh, blessings are. And so we thank you for him and thank you for your word and pray in his name. Amen.